0: We're beginning a series today on the Lord's Prayer, and I wonder if you've ever been around someone who, um, that you heard them pray, and you kind of thought, "I want to have a prayer life like that." Like I kind of wish I could. You ever been around someone like that? Um, I remember um, seeing that on a Christian movie, which I know means it's fake and as an actor, but. It was this old movie um, called Sheffy. How many of you remember seeing Sheffy? We'll just name all the old people. And anyway, actually, that was one of my favorite movies. It's about this circuit riding Methodist preacher um, named Robert Sheffy. who's actually from the Wythville, Virginia area, the real life character. The real life character is a little more eccentric than they portrayed him on the movie. Kind of had some quirks and warts and just like all of us, right? And um, Anyway, there's this one point in the movie where so so Sheffy is this kind of unlicensed un non, you know, uh itinerant uh, Methodist preacher at these camp meetings and things like this, and the those that are part of the um whatever the council that oversaw this were were having issues with 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 brother Sheffy. And at one point they come to him and uh, ask a question and he has a kind of a little bit of a snarky response but it's really good and they say we're getting a lot of complaints about you brother Sheffi, because as people hear you pray the way you pray is 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 odd because it sounds like you're talking to God himself and Sheffi responds and says well to whom is it that you speak when you're praying and, of course, they're all quiet because they're like, well, you kind of called them on that. We're supposed to be talking to God when we pray, right? Um, in Luke chapter 11, it gives us one of the two accounts of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And it's a response to the disciples asking the Lord and them seeing the Lord praying and wanting to have a prayer life that like that. and And so the disciples... And it says this, now Jesus, in verse 1 of Luke chapter 11, was praying in a certain place. And when he finished, one of the disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John taught his disciples. And he said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And so it gives, shows us the context of what the circumstances, and there's two different accounts of the Lord's Prayer, and the the one that we probably most know and quote would be that in Matthew chapter six. So if you go with me there, so today we're going to start a series <clears throat> going through the phases the phrases of the Lord's Prayer, and today's message will be the introduction and invocation of that Lord's Prayer. And what I'd like for us to do is um, is quote aloud together. Uh, and we'll do it from the, from the from the authorized, from the King James, because I'm sure most of us have uh, memorized it that way. But let's just quote the Lord's Prayer together, and we'll put it on the screen here uh, to give you a little cheat, okay? Um, here we go. Let's say this together. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation but deliver us from evil for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen now let's pause and ask god to help us as we look at that father would you help us thank you for your presence for your promise and lord i ask that you use this now to grow us in our relationship with our father And draw those that do not have a relationship with our Father into the family. We pray this in His name. Amen. Well, so our outline is pretty simple today. What we're going to do is we'll talk about the introduction of the Lord's Prayer and then the invocation of the Lord's Prayer. And in the introduction, we'll see the importance of prayer. We'll briefly look at the structure of the prayer. We'll see the purpose of the prayer. then we'll look at the invocation of the two words, Our and Father. Um, The Lord's Prayer is so important to us, and it it gives us a lot to learn. And uh, Andrew Murray said of this, he said, In condescension to our weakness, our Heavenly Father has given us the very words we are to take with us as we draw near to our Father. We have in them a form of prayer, in which which their breath, the freshness and fullness of eternal life, so simple that a child can lisp it, and so divinely rich that it comprehends all that God can give. And so basically, the Lord's Prayer is this teaching tool that God gave us so that that it, that children can quote it, but also it gives us so much to think of. Um, I want to put a quote up by um, um, Al Mohler. He said this, that the Lord's Prayer takes less than 20 seconds to read aloud, but it takes a lifetime to learn. I mean, that it, I mean, you can just quote it in 20 seconds probably, But it takes a lifetime long to learn. And most Christians, myself included, we often just rush through it and never really stop and think about what it's actually teaching. I mean, this is kind of a revolutionary prayer. It's revolutionary to our prayer lives, and it's revolutionary in the sense that it's actually getting a bunch of people on this earth to ask God to bring a different kingdom to this earth. That's the, that's the language of revolution, right? I mean, that's like a bunch of patriots in New England saying, we don't want the king we have right now. We want a different form of government. Let's start a revolution. We're, we're literally praying, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is revolutionary type praying. And so I'm going to just propose the idea today. That the Lord's Prayer teaches us how to pray and what to pray. It teaches us what prayer is and what prayer is not. And so the first thing I want to point out this morning is the importance of prayer. And that prayer is something that is inherently human. Um, you can study world religions. And as we, if we look at world religions, uh, maybe you took a class in college or something like that, a survey of world religions and... Um, you would see that most most of the major religion m- religious groups in the world have some type of thing of prayerish type thing. Um, Islam, they would you know at, at the call they would kneel towards the direction of Mecca with their heads at the floor and go through their prayers so many times a day. In Judaism, they would uh, use repetitive prayers through a formal liturgy and. And they would even, you know, uh, the extreme of that would be those taking those prayers and, and and finding holy sites. Maybe you've seen pictures of the way the uh, Wailing Wall, the Western Wall, this is the retaining wall of Herod's Temple that's still there. And they'll take and put little their prayers in the little cracks in the in the wall. Um, Buddhism even has something. It's kind of this, uh, you know, mental tranquility and getting to that state of. Thing like that, and then and then even there's different in, in Christian circles throughout the history throughout the ages. There's different forms. And kind of during the Middle Ages, there was this um, in monasteries this monasticism and the emphasis on Mary and intercession of Mary to Mary. So you came up with in the in the Christian tradition things like uh, using beads or a rosary or having a formula of prayers. You know, like a Hail Mary. Um, but all that to say that it's part of the human condition that in whatever type of religious form, some type of praying happens, which means it's kind of just part of uh, wanting to have a connection with with the Almighty is part of that. So I'm just going to give a couple definitions that um, that prayer is this ongoing communication between Christians and God. Just, that's the basic communication with between Christians and God or worshipful communication with God. That's, you could kind of call prayer as that. Um, there is um, some more specific historic definitions. Um, uh, if you were to take the Westminster Catechism, or the, here's the, uh, here's a, I have a little copy here, uh, the Shorter Catechism. Uh, question 98 says this, what is prayer? And the response is, prayer is an offering up of our desires to God for things agreeable to his will in the name of Christ, with confession of sins and thankful acknowledgement of his mercies. It's a pretty good definition. Prayer is something you see is important in the Bible. You see Jesus modeling the importance of prayer. Um, there's at least 25 times in the New Testament you see Jesus going to pray or praying. Um, you see this in the early church. It's really important to the early church. You see them. I mean, at, right after Pentecost, and it says they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and prayer. I mean, they gave themselves to prayer. I mean, so 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 the church was kind of launched in a um, with a sermon, but it was really birthed in that prayer meeting of the early church. And we looked, talked about that a little bit. Um, uh, when we were going through the book of Acts, you see that when you get to the Acts chapter six, that the apostles saw prayer is so important. It in the ministry of the word was so important. That they needed to appoint a new group of leaders um, to to oversee the care of the widows and the serving of the table so that they could not neglect prayer and the ministry of the word. But prayer was so important to them. And you know, it. it's kind of when you see how important prayer is in the Bible and in history that. You kind of look at my life and your life, and this is, you can always get anyone convicted by preaching on prayer, right? Because no, none of us pray. We can all kind of, you know, come down the aisle, so to speak, that we need to pray more. Um, but, 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 And, and, I, and sometimes when, um, and this is kind of a danger whenever you're in like a Bible study class or a small group situation, that, I mean, you want to be transparent and confess your faults. But sometimes, uh, if ever, prayer is one of those things where we can all confess it, so if all of us are bad, none of us are bad type thing, you know, we kind of like we kind of feel ba- feel okay. Well, I'm not really convicted about praying because hey, everybody else is bad at it too, right? Um come on in, the water's terrible, you know. <laughs> um and um we're all we're all miserable here, you know. It's kind of like when you know, kids in class and everybody got certain questions wrong and you know, so oh, okay. Well, that that wasn't too bad. Everybody messed up. Um, uh, we can have that type of an attitude, but Really, in our modern age, I mean, prayer has has dwindled. It's waning. It's um, it, but, but I want you to get this, that when Jesus talks about this, um, he, he says, when you pray, pray this way. He doesn't say if you pray, if you plan to pay or when you ever come to it. He's saying it when I mean, he's just assuming you're going to be doing this. Do it this way. And so prayer is not a matter of just weakness or I need to be a better Christian. It's a matter of obedience or disobedience to the Lord. And so um, prayer is so important. Prayer is not only important because it's modeled in the Bible and it's commanded to us, so it's a matter of obedience, but prayer, how you pray really shows how you believe. There's one philosopher who was a, 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 an, an agnostic and now a theist, and he said this way, he said that God is defined in the act of worship far more precisely than he is defined by any theology. And basically what that means is how you act and what you do in worship practically shows more what you believe than what's on a doctrinal statement or what theology you can spout. I mean, there are people that can spout out theological jargon and explain things, but what they do with their lives shows what they really believe. Because you do what you do, because you think what you think, because you believe what you believe about God. I mean, it's kind of the old saying, your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks. You know, you can say that ten times, You, you know. Your walk talks and your talk talks, but your walk talks louder than your talk talks and and so' a, what we do in worship uh, i mean sometimes i mean it 's why it's so important what we do during our worship service like we could say well the bible's important what if we don't like settle and read it and expound it and things like that are is it really important to us? prayer is important to us, but if we don't like well, man, we've got to hurry up and not have a lot of prayers in our service because that will mess up the transition and make people feel awkward, right? Um, you know, what are we really showing that we believe? And so uh, your theology is shown in this. Um, it's kind of a barometer or a dipstick into what you really believe, what's really going on in your life. It's that thermometer that says, this is, what you, this is what your true theology is like. And now Moeller said it this way. He said, prayer is never an isolated event. When we pray, we convey our entire theological system. Our theology is never so clearly displayed before our own eyes and before the world as in our prayers. And so prayer is so important. In fact, there's this, uh, this Latin phrase, um, lex orandi, lex credenda, which means as we pray, so we believe. As we pray, so we believe. The way you pray shows what you really believe. We learn about uh, what a person thinks and what they believe by what they pray for and what's important to them. You know, when you do this with our kids, before we go, to, what do you want to pray for? do any prayer requests, and you find out what's important to them. You find that with, that with adults, what's important to them. When you come to prayer meetings and things like this. But, and and this isn't the scares from giving prayer requests or any, God wants to hear all of our requests and things. It's more just to, to show that this is important. Prayer is important. It just It shows all the different doctrines, what we believe about God and redemption and the world and all these other important things. If you want to know what someone believes, listen to them pray. And I'm not, I mean, there's always the person that, um you know you, and we 've all been around them, and we 're not here to th- th- sling them out on anybody. You, you hear someone pray and and you 're kind of like kind of their life and that they 're kind of a, you, like, kind of do the showy words, but then there 's not a lot of behind it and we can all tell that, but the other times uh, it 's like you can tell when there 's like some genuineness there in someone 's prayer life. And so that's what's going on. It's very important, the Lord's Prayer, because prayer is important, and God uses it to teach us to us. But to structure the Lord's Prayer, um, this is kind of cool. Actually, um, a few months ago, uh, as you guys know, I teach upper school Bible here at at the school, and I was going through uh, this um, with the the, uh, students, and the curriculum pointed out this. I'd never thought about this before, that uh, in the Lord's Prayer, there are six petitions, and there are six requests. Three are concerning God and three are concerning ourselves, which is almost a parallel to the way the Ten Commandments are set up. With the Ten Commandments are set up to give uh, commands concerning our relationship with God and then concerning our relationship with each other. And so there are six petitions in the Lord's Prayer um, that go in these different phrases that that we see. And that brings us to the purpose of the Lord's Prayer. And we mentioned earlier, and we saw in Luke, Luke, uh, one, this is one of the beauties of why we have more than one gospel. The gospels give us different perspective on different things. And so so Matthew gives us a longer uh, version of the Lord's Prayer, and Luke gives us a shorter version. Everything that's in Luke is also in Matthew, but not everything that's in Matthew is in the one in Luke, and it doesn't mean there's a contradiction. It just means different men have different perspectives and remember different things. And so... Um, so but it's that the disciples are asking the lord teach us to pray like john with his disciples and he gives them this example so the purpose of the lord's prayer is to teach us how to pray but then the context of matthew remember when we go to matthew chapter 6 we're kind of we're kind of dropping right towards the middle to the end of what we call the sermon on the mount and Jesus has been talking about the Pharisees and the hypocrites, and and they're show they're showy, wanting to uh, want their piety and their religiousness to look spiritual before other people, and what to, not to do like they did. When He gives that in, in that passage, the Lord's Prayer. So the Lord's Prayer says, "Teach us how to pray, what to pray, what prayer is, and what it's not." So it gives us the positive and the negative. And so it's very important for the disciples. They needed to be taught. Now you might be there in your life. I've been quoting the Lord's Prayer my whole life. I can't remember not remembering the Lord's Prayer. Why do I need to come to a sermon series on the Lord's Prayer? I mean, I already know this, right? So let me ask, are you, am I, at a higher spiritual state and understanding of prayer than the 12 apostles were. And if you're honest, I'd probably say, no. So if Jesus needed to teach them to pray this way and give them this prayer, if it was important for them, then maybe we'd be saying, hey, I might could use that too, right? Right? Um, and so it's important. Don't be so arrogant to think that we're you might be above or beyond the very first disciples, the apostles. And so this is where this, the, the next question in the Westminster Shorter Catechism, uh, after question 98 of what is prayer, question 99 is this. What rule hath God given for our direction in prayer? And the answer to that catechism question is the whole word of God is of use to direct us in prayer, but the special rule of direction is that form of prayer which Christ taught His disciples, commonly called the Lord's prayer. So, all of the Bible directs us in how to pray, but there's that special lesson for us of how to pray that Jesus taught His disciples in the Lord's prayer. Um, at the beginning of the Reformation. Uh, Luther, who's known for a lot of things, we also forget, we often forget that these guys are guys. You know, they still eat and drink and things like this and uh, also have to get their hair cut, right? So there's this kind of cool story about how Luther was going to his barber and um, his barber asks him to, about prayer and um, there's this this writing where um Luth is a, a simple way to pray for master Peter, the barber. And so he says to the barber, so as a diligent and good barber, you must keep your thoughts, senses, and eyes precisely on the hair and the scissors or razor and not forget where you trimmed or shaved for. If you want to talk a lot or become distracted thinking about something else, you might well cut someone's nose or mouth or even his throat. And basically what he's saying is, hey, if you're going to be a good barber, you've got to pay attention to what you're doing and not be, you know, shooting the breeze while you have a straight razor on some guy's throat, right? Um, and I have fond memories when I was a little boy. My grandpa taking me to barber shops and then all the guys kind of sitting around talking. And I think I've heard ladies do that when they get their hair done, too. And But you don't want to get distracted. Why don't you want to focus? So so here's the, God gives us in the Lord's Prayer uh, teaches us how to pray, what to pray. Say, so, hey, f- here's a good way. Focus on this. Uh, focus in on your prayer, because we all get distracted. And so, so before teaching us how and what to pray, Jesus shows us a lot in this passage in Matthew of what prayer is not. Um, and this is where I want you to focus on. The, I want to focus on the context of Matthew chapter 6. And so this is in the Lord's, in the sermon, on, Lord's sermon on the Mount. And so um, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus speaks and gives a lot of these uh, characteristics of what followers of him are going to be like. And we call them the Beatitudes, the Beatitudes. And then he gives, um, he talked about the influence that followers of Jesus should have on those around him. And some people call those the similitudes, the Beatitudes, the similitudes. And one of the ones is that you're to be salt of the earth, the light of the world. You're supposed to be like a city set on a hill. There's things that we're supposed to be like to have influence on the world around us. And then put this together and this is the Sermon on the Mount. So Jesus discussed a a couple different areas that tend to reveal our loyalties. The first way we show where our real loyalties are is in our religious practices, and that's where you see in the first eighteen verses of um, uh, Matthew chapter six of what we do with prayer and fasting, and then with what we do with wealth, um, how what we do with alms giving, and you can see that today you show your you show your real loyalties by your religious practices and your use of wealth, and so in treating these things, giving, prayer, and fasting. What Jesus is mainly pointing out is that they shouldn't be done in a hypocritical way. That they need to be done in a genuine way. He's not saying not to do them. He's saying just don't do them in a hypocritical way. So he gives a good bit of time criticizing these guys called the Pharisees. Because they kept doing this stuff, not because of what they were doing, but because they were just... Empty. They were they, they were being um, so repetitive in what they were saying, and um, so he would say uh, in verse one of chapter six, "Beware practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Thus, when you are when you give to the needy." Stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows that you have need of before you ask Him. Pray then like this. And then he gives those classic, that classic expression of the Lord's Prayer. And so, he's criticizing them. And what he's really trying to show is that the beginning of God's kingdom is going to transform our values. It's going to change the way we practice religion and the way we pray in our giving. And so there's two verses that I think are key to understanding this. And the one is in chapter 5. So if you go back to chapter 5 in verse 20, it says this. For I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds that of the tri- scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter into the kingdom of heaven. That Your righteousness needs to be perfect. Like God, uh, only 100% percent test scores pass. Um, and then the next one is in chapter 6, verse 1. It says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And so with these two, he's warning against the public and that ostentatious display of piety. And we all know what that looks like. We've all felt that temptation in our own souls. Kind of put on the dog a little bit. Um, make it look like you're a little more spiritual than you really are. Christians feel this pressure to fall into this trap. And we want to impress others. with our, Whether that be with our prayers or giving or dress or whatever it is. I mean, we could go down the line of what this looks like. And it's really a... a you know, we, we we want to see other people's failures... You know, but we kind of all want to hide behind a wall of our own failures. You know, there's and there's a, and then somewhat that's good because it's a true sense of shame in working that we realize that we know deep down that we're we're not worthy and that we're unrighteous. Um, but it's also uh, what 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 we but the gospel breaks that down that we're like I can say that I'm messed up and I can say that my righteousness is only Christ's righteousness. I have a righteousness outside of myself. But but we kind of like to have that piety, right? Uh, that make ourselves look better. We we like to have that wall built up, you know. Whether that be a wall of makeup or a suit or an attitude or uh, tattered jeans or a cool hip look or whatever it might be. Or uh, um, we have that wall. In, in a sense, we're kind of, for, for lack of better, we're all kind of spiritual pe- peeping toms, you know. We we like to like see the problems in other people's lives while hiding our own, right? We don't want that transparency there. Um, and we want to like, oh, did you see, um, you know, That family, did you see their kids? Did you see what they, Would you see what she wore to church? Did you see what he put on? I bet he thinks he's all that because he put a jacket on today. I bet he thinks he's really spiritual because he wore nice jeans. I bet he, I bet they, she thinks she's the greatest mom in the world because her kid doesn't scream like the pastor's kids do or whatever, you know, or whatever it is. You know, we kind of have that, you know. Um, and we could all tell, tell the stories of the fights in the car and then the smiles as soon as you get into the church parking lot because there's that force field around churches that, 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 that stop fights in the car, right? And, I mean, there's all those things that happen, right? And so, um, I mean, you ever been, uh, this is especially highlighted and tempting for those that are asked to lead in prayer in public. Right, because you, you don't want people to think you're a, a a doofus, right? But at the same time, you know, you ever prayed a word you didn't even know? You know, um, God, uh, you know, please deliver our youth group from their superfluity of naughtiness, and um, I don't even know what that is, but deliver them from it. And uh, you know, and, um, and you're not saying that, right? But you're just, you say things. so uh, um, I, it was kind of a joke um, when I went to Bible college. If some guy fall, fell asleep in class, that you try to lean over to him and say, "Hey, they asked you to pray and see if he would jump up and start praying in the middle of class." Um, uh, you know, there, there, yeah, have you ever? Um, I've been there where I went somewhere to um, maybe visit, um, or, and they knew you're like a, a, a preacher of some sorts, and and I and I and, I, and I'll confess. I sometimes have daydreamed while I'm listening to somebody else preach, you know, or I'm doodling or writing and they kind of close things down. I wasn't really paying attention and they'll say, oh, Jason, would you close this in prayer? And I'm like, "Um, did he did they just say someone's having heart surgery tomorrow? I have no idea. You know, you ever been, you know, I mean, that's kind of, a, you know, so you just kind of make these vague statements to try to make it sound like you know what you're talking about. I remember the worst ever was I um, had this lady in our church um, uh, over in Kaiser. She, uh, had there's her friend who came to church occasionally, had a sister who passed away. And long story short, I did like a bunch of funerals and, um, and but it's hard to do funerals for someone you don't know. And uh, so I did this funeral for this, lady. and they're like, "Hey, her sister passed away. It's just going to be a handful of friends and family there. They just need someone to come do something. Would you come?" And 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 I was like, "Oh, sure. It's just going to be kind of a no big deal, you know. I'll just pop by." And then something kind of told me, you know, I maybe I ought to just dress up a little bit more that day, just in case, you know. I show up, and there's 150 people there, and I've never met this lady. Uh, I barely know her sister. And I have the cutout from the obituary in the newspaper and 150 people in front of me. And I'm the show, you know, and you're kind of like, what do you do? Right. So I re- So I start looking around at the guest book and the people there. And I see I look at the casket of this woman. You know, I've never met her. And there's a Washington Redskins Afghan in the casket. So I'm like, well, she's either a big Redskins fan or this is a really bad joke. So so I start so I'm like picking all these things I could say and kinda of incorporating into the eulogy and trying to say some nice things about her and then share the gospel. But I'm just fluffing. And I there's no real relationship there. It's just all oh, I read about her grandkids and we all know how she loved her grandkids and everybody goes, Mmm. I have no idea who her grandkids are. I'm reading the newspaper here, you know, and we all know how she loved her redskins. They all chuckle. I'm acting like I know her. I have no idea. I'm just guessing there's a, if you have a redskins blanket in your, in your casket, you probably liked them. You know, I'm just guessing here, right? And don't we do that sometimes in our prayer? You know, hey, uh, will you pray for us before we start? to, uh, uh, You know, and we do that. And that's what Jesus is saying not to do. Don't try to impress people with empty phrases, repetitive words. And Jesus says, um, he doesn't, he's, he's not getting at the actual stature, like don't stand praying. You can pray standing up. Or he doesn't say, go into your closet or you're into your room. It doesn't, he's not talking about the building and the structure and the architecture. He's talking about whether you're wanting to do it to impress people. And he's not saying you shouldn't have public prayers because there's plenty of examples in the New Testament of public prayers. He's just saying when you do it, don't do it with the eye to impress people. Um, do it, be genuine in it. Um, so in prayer, don't be mechanical or manipulative. Mechanical being, being repetitive and saying the same prayers over and over and uh, things like this. And we could say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't be like those, uh, ultra-high church people that read all these formula prayers or pray uh, a rosary. Don't do that, you know. I'm like, no, 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 we can't look down our noses at anybody because uh, if you ever listen to some people when they pray, you know they're going to say certain filler things, and some of it's just a speech thing, but they'll use certain fillers over and over and over. God, we just want to, God, we just want to, and we just want to, and we just want to. And it's like, okay, how many just want us do you have to put in one prayer? Because just want to, and you have 15 of them, there's more than just want us. You know, or, um, uh, and Father God, we just want to Father God, and we want to Father God this, and Father God, and and, and dear Jesus this, and, and dear Jesus that. you know. And we just kind of repeat the same thing over and over and over and over and over. Um, and it's kind of like, you ever been driving somewhere, and you... um a, a, and you get there, and you don't remember driving there, right? Um, you, 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 someone says, hey, will you pray for the beginning of class, or the beginning of the service, and you're through. uh, uh Dear Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for this day, and everybody that's here today, and you're through all that stuff, and then you're like, wait, where am I at? Oh, yeah, I'm praying, you know, and you you've just kind of driven there, and you haven't even thought about what you said. Um, I'm not saying that having certain things to remind you to in Jesus' name, amen, or certain things to remind you are bad. I'm just saying, don't be mechanical or manipulative. And, um, and by manipulative, I mean we're not trying to impress other people. But we're also not trying to impress God. Because Jesus said here, don't be like the hypocrites because they think for their long prayers they're going to have this or this or that. And kind of the classic example of this would be um, the, um, uh, the prophets of Baal in the Old Testament, Baal and Elijah. And, and, they, and they're cutting themselves and giving these long prayers that they're going to convince their gods to light their the altar. Whereas Elijah's prayer is kind of direct and brief and genuine and fire comes down. And sometimes we get this idea that we're going to impress God with our prayer, that we use certain big words when we prayed or we went through a whole systematic theology in the prayer or we whatever it might be, But God, or even then, um, i have to get certain people to pray for me because then it'll really work. And we'll say, well, don't you believe in the power of prayer? The power of prayer. And you get certain people to pray and they're, no, 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 no. We believe in the God who has power and therefore we pray to him. But our rabbits, we don't have a rabbit foot or a genie thing that the way we do it, right? And sometimes we can be like that. You know, that we're trying to manipulate God. What God this and, and and God right now before this service end, like cause the parking lot to pave itself, Lord, or something like that. And 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 you're like, what? Or you know, we don't we don't try to and and we don't use our prayers as a time to give God information, because the passage even said, for the heavenly Father knows, He already knows you have certain needs. You're not letting God know anything He doesn't know. You're like, well, then why in the what am I even praying if he's sovereign over everything? Because he told you to. And because what if one of the means of his sovereignty is your prayers? Like he uses prayers, but he told you to pray and you in your own will ask him for things. But somehow he knew you were going to pray and told you and he had all that planned out anyway. Yeah, that's God. So Pray. Prayer changes things. But effectual prayer of a righteous man avails much. But, he, but you don't, you're not trying to impress God uh, by how much you prayed or how long you prayed or what you prayed or informing him of things. So prayer is a wonderful thing. It's about God's will being done, not our own. So some things prayer is not. Prayer is not self-expression. We, we don't get to just approach God any way we wish. You know, a great example of this is when Jesus meets the woman at the well. He meets the woman at the well, and, and, and she first goes and says, um, well, our fathers worshiped here in this way, but you Jews say this. And Jesus says that the true worshipers will worship him in spirit and in truth. That, that you don't just get to say, well, I pray this way, and I do that, and I use this as my prayer. No, 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 no. This is God, you know, it's not self-expression. It's not art. Um, Neither is prayer some type of, of therapy session. You know, sometimes people are like, well, that's, you know, I mean, like Zen people have their Zen time, and Christians have their prayer, and Buddhists have their, you know, their nirvana, and it's just kind of your guys' version of that meditation, and it helps you calm down and stuff. And, you know, there is an element of truth in that you do calm down when you've had a quiet time of prayer, right? And you do kind of release some anxiety and things like this. But there's other times that prayer is not like any of those other things. That it's the opposite of therapy. Because it's you're praying and God's spirit tells you you are a sinner and you are proud and you are you have you have iniquity in you that you need to confess. You don't relieve anxiety with conviction, do you? No, you, you so so prayer is kind of the opposite of therapy in some ways. So don't let anyone say, "Well, that's just like Christian therapy and Christian meditation." No. Prayer is something different. It's not some self-help prayer. Prayer is first and foremost about God and his glory and our relationship with him. It's not a news report to God. Um, So I ask you, when Jesus says these words that we've read here in Matthew chapter 6, do any of these words kind of prick or point out or correct a bad habit you have in your prayer life? You're like, you know what, God? You're kind of, I do that a lot, you know. You know a good way is ask your kids or your grandkids like how does grandma pray? How does grandpa pray? And they pray will notice like oh he always says this or she always does this when she prays. And some of that can be good. Um I remember my grandpa when he would pray. Um he didn't mean it he wasn't trying to put on a show and it was just the way he was brought up in the in the 20s and 30s was he would he would kind of use Elizabethan English a little bit when he prayed. And he kind of always said the word, the name Jesus, with kind of a, you know, kind of a Barber County Mountain flair, and I and I kind of I still hear that echoing in my ear. He kind of with Jesus, you know, he kind of put like an extra syllable in there, and you know, and I kind of I, I remember hearing my grandpa pray that way, but um, but but and so it's not always bad, but like sometimes they they can tell you kind of jump right into certain things or pray certain things. We also don't use prayer um, as means to kind of. Get at um, um, to say things. You know, I mean, we're, we're West Virginians, right? We're the the kings and queens of passive aggressive. You know, so if you don't want to say something to someone directly, you say it in a roundabout way. And you know, we can do that with prayer. Do you know what? I, I got to confess something. I did this with my kids um, just last week, and my oldest daughter called me on the carpet with it you know, because it was before, they were kind of squabbling at something, and I, and in my prayer for dinner, I was like, and Lord, help us all get along, and show love one another, and not argue, and and, and then when I was putting Kerrigan to bed that night, she's like, when you were praying at supper, were you really talking to God, or were you trying to tell us to stop fighting, and I was like, well, see there, in seminary, we, no, no, you know what I had to do, I was like, Actually, I walked away, and came back, and was like, you're exactly right. That, that wasn't, uh, that was, I should have just said to you guys before we prayed, hey, let's qu- cut it out or whatever. And um, you ever done anything like that in your prayer? Let me tell you another tempting one is, you get through your sermon, your Sunday school class, and you're closing in prayer, and you realize, oh, I left that point out. Well, I'll just kind of work it into the sermon, some into the prayer at the end, right? You know, no, that's not what the point of prayer is. Uh, now, I think there are times that you can use that as a prayer. So, for instance, if I go and open in prayer for an event or something like that, I'll try to uh, weave the gospel into the prayer uh, for the purpose of those that are there hearing. But, but that's not what the main purpose of prayer is. And so that's, those are some things Jesus is teaching us. And then, uh, with our time, I want to point out two things in two words in the invocation uh I, when I was going through this with the high school students I thought about this and I wondered if I was reading this point into this and it's something God really kind of uh, thought wow that's really good and I'd never thought of it that way and then um uh but I wondered if I was reading that into the passage into the pronoun and then I kept hearing about this new book that Al Mohler had on the Lord's Prayer and Ligonier had a class on it on Ligonier Connect and um and uh and I, I was pleased to find out that he had a whole section on this one pronoun. So it, it's always good when someone agrees with you, and especially if that person is Al Mohler. So anyway, so what I want to do is I want to um, contrast our prayers with the beginning of the Lord's Prayer. So it starts off with the word our and Father. So I, before that, I ask, do you believe that every word of God is inspired of God? Yeah. Everywhere, even pronouns, yeah. And so, if you were to look at the 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 first person pronouns in the Lord's Prayer, you would see things like "Our Father, give us our daily bread." Um, Things like um, "Forgive us our debts, lead us, deliver us." You know something about them? They're all plural. There's not one first-person singular pronoun in the Lord's Prayer. Most of us, there's this tyranny of the urgent and this selfishness and this individualism that we jump first to our own petitions and the things for us, and Jesus doesn't begin with that. He starts with this call, to call upon God, our Father. To call means to invoke. That's where the idea of the invocation, the beginning, the opening prayer comes from. But this is emphasizing the unity of all Christians in Christ. That our Father, that when we come to God, that we are part of the body, we're in a community. You are saved by Christ. But you are saved, when you're saved, you're brought into the body of Christ, the church. We're saved by Christ individually, but we're not saved independently. As we said, there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christians. So our faith, is a personal faith. It's a personal relationship with God, but it's not a private relationship with God. So he said this, that Jesus is reminding us when we enter into a relationship with God, we enter into a relationship with his people. So we can't be disconnected from our identity in the body of Christ when we pray. So this idea of being a lone wolf Christian or a satellite Christian or a parachurch organization Christian or some kind of disgruntled Christian that's not connected to the visible body of Christ is not consistent with the, the New Testament or even this beginning simple pronoun of the Lord's Prayer. So the point is this. I'm not, it's not to deny that we have personal needs that we need to take to the Lord in prayer. But the point is that, that when we need to first consider our identity in the body of Christ, that when we come to Christ, it so makes up our identity that it's the beginning part of our invocation in our prayers. To have a, a, a thinking of the group. So like this past week, we took the, the high school kids down to uh, Beckley for the um, fine arts state competition for the school and um when i kind of a rule of thumb is if you're going to go out to eat when you're out of town you always pick a place that's not in town right so i don't i never go to muriel's outside of clarksburg or muriel's uh, menards outside of clarksburg never go to muriel's outside of fairmont you look for something you don't have you know so let's go to Eaton park nope we have one of those in town we're going somewhere else right that's my rule of thumb right so we have the kids and we have them we're in a van and um uh and we're going to go to eat and you know, if it's just me and my family, we, you know, we have certain th- places we like and certain places we don't like. You throw some high school boys in there, and all of a sudden, the the desires got a lot greasier and a lot bigger portions. And then you and so so we've got moms and we've got the teenage boys and teenage girls and and uh, so thankfully it was Mr. Carter was driving the van, so he got to make the, be the bad guy of which parking lot he pulled into. So there's some people that we want to go to like Mexican or um, Japanese or Chinese, and and then there's people oh I got sick there last year, and then there's you know the teenage girls that want to go to a place where they can get something that looks healthy and not eat much and then go back to the room and pig out on candy because they were eating in front of the boys there, you know, and then there's the, you know, and then there's all this stuff going on and we end up settling on cheddars because everybody could get a little something, right? But but when you think in a van, it's differently than when you're individually, you know. You're thinking of the needs of others. Well, this person's not going to like this and this person's going to like this and, you know, so let's think of this. And so it's kind of that we're in the van that when you come to the Lord that you kind of have a corporateness that you're thinking, you know what, our Father. That there's, it's, it's part of your, your thinking of others and yourself. And the fact that Jesus emphasizes this from the beginning of the prayer shows this corporate part of our faith. It's not all just individualism. So when you pray, pray recognizing your identity as part of the body of Christ, the church. Pray with a focus and love for the church. And then secondly, Father. This refers to this special relationship that God is demonstrating his fatherhood he, he, through adoption, through provision, through faithfulness and care. There's a few passages that point this out and for sake of time, I, I have them on the screen. I, I wanna, I'll want i mention them. F- Ephesians 1, uh, 4 and 5. I, we'll go ahead and scroll through them. Um, and um, this talks about how God has adopted us into his family, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. He predestined us for adoption to himself as through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose. And then Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5, it says that, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son to be born of woman, born under the law, to redeem the, the law, so that me, we might receive the adoption of as sons. And then Romans 8, 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you do not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we might also be glorified with him. And then one final one that highlights this is John one twelve. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right or the power, the ability, the authority become children of God so really what when it says our father it's, it's making a st- statement about God that God is this transcendent almighty being but he's also eminent he's near he's right here he is a father he's not some anonymous deity he's not some impersonal force he's not the force and he's not some higher power man upstairs he is our father now this also needs to be clarified because those of you that remember the last century a little bit, particularly the middle, early to middle part of the last century, and the 50, the fatherhood of God and the universalism movement, the, the universalists, that, that we're all the children of God. And, and there is a certain sense in which um, we are all God's children because God's disposition in in creation. He's the father of all, but... The Bible is very clear that you just read uh, some passages that only those who know Christ as their Savior know God as their Father. There is a sense in which prayer is only for Christians. I'm not saying God doesn't hear any ever a prayer of an unregenerate person, especially the prayer of faith that in, in the, uh, the when they would receive Christ. But, but, but there is a sense in which prayer is only for Christians. Um, so I, I think actually a, a, there's a, a Baptist confession. The Baptist Faith in Message 2000 says it this way. I, this idea of God being the father of all, but father particularly of children of God. He says that God is father in true to those who become children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. He is fatherly in his attitude towards all men. So God's fatherly towards all men, but he is only father, truly father to those that have put their faith and trust in Christ. He is our Father. So God is our Father because of the work on the cross. So we don't have a right to come to God because we're naturally His enemies. We're naturally children of darkness. We're naturally children of Satan. We're naturally His enemies. We're owned by the the work. the, The gospel tells you something about your family status. Your redemption has put you in the family, is adopted to say our Father Because of adoption. We saw in Ephesians 1 there. Father says something about God's disposition towards us. So get this, those of you that maybe like me, you struggle with whether God likes you or not, um, that the gospel, this relationship, shows the disposition God has towards us of that you are his child. Our sonship, our ability to relate to God, come through salvation. I want to put this, I don't, often quote twitter but this is a tim keller tweet um i'm gonna put this up here um that the only person who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m for a glass of water is a child we have that kind of access he says you can come boldly before the throne of grace in hebrews that if i call you at 3 a.m and i'm not saying you're kings or whatever but like you're gonna be like, why are they calling? So I mean, if you if I called some of you after nine p.m., you'd be upset, right? Like 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 like. But you know what happens? You know, like uh, when that grandchild or your child wake up and their tummy's hurt or whatever, you're happy to wake up with them at three a.m. at two a.m. Why? They're your child. They're your grandchild. Our Father has that type of disposition towards you and your prayers. That the only one who dares wake up a king at 3 a.m. for a glass of water is their child. And we have that kind of access before God. And so, a few questions of application as we close this. Are you being obedient to praying? Being obedient to by by praying i mean it's not just a good idea and important idea. it's an act of obedience to be disobedient not praying is is disobedience um and then and then going at because prayer is so important because it shows what we believe and you know as you pray so you believe uh, what are you showing those around you that the real state of your belief your doctrine is by the way you pray Um, and you might know all the jargon and all the words and all the definitions and Explain the faith, but um, the, way, the way your beliefs are really shown by the way you pray. Um, going to what Jesus warned against in prayer or not, not being mani- mechanical or manipulative or things like that. Um, is there something that God may have put his finger on in the way you pray? Or do you find yourself thinking about what others might think about you when you pray? Um, this is one of the reasons why people don't want to pray in public. Because you're scared, you know, I'm, I'm going to look like an idiot, I'm not going to really know, or maybe that being a small group or Sunday school class or, you know, main service or something like that. Um, it's a temptation type thing. It's a, it's a hard thing. Or even with uh, kids, you know, around the dinner table, um, you're kind of putting it out there. Do you, do you find yourself thinking about what other people are going to think more than what God would think? Um. And then finally, are you saved? Are you one of His sons and daughters? And He told us, but as many as received Him, to them gave you power or ability to become sons and daughters. And the and 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 one of the incredible benefits of that is prayer. And maybe you need to change like I do. You, you, the viewing the disposition of God towards you in the way you pray. I mean, he loves you. And, and let the love of God for you woo you to this relationship of prayer. Instead of seeing prayer as something that you have to do or you have to have a check sheet or whatever like that, but, but the, lo- the, the, the disposition, the gospel relationship that you have with God with, through Christ, let that woo you to a life of prayer. And you might be one that has it and say, wow, I can just get up at 3 a.m. and knock on the king's door and ask for a cup of water. And that might need to change, that might need some thinking that you need to chew on there. And I hope that that, as we look at just these two words, think of all that we can get out of just two words, and there's more we could dig into here of this Lord's Prayer. And we'll get in a little bit more next week as we continue. And that being said, let's take a few moments of quiet and just kind of pray in your heart before the Lord.